0: Let me invite you to take your Bible to, and turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 24 for a few moments this morning, if my voice will hold out. Luke's gospel, chapter 24. I want to speak to you about the miracle of miracles today. Luke's gospel, chapter 24, the miracle of miracles. And let me begin reading in verse number one. Again, it is the resurrection story. And if you were here during the sunrise, you know, we read the resurrection story from Matthew's account. But let me give you the first 12 verses of Dr. Luke's account. The Bible says in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, excuse me, let me get to Luke. <clears throat> Luke 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake to you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all of these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself what had come to pass. So may God add his blessings to the reading of his word today, as we look at miracle of miracles. Miracle of all miracles. The Gospel of Luke provides the most extensive treatment of the resurrection story that you find anywhere in the scriptures. In fact, every one of the gospel writers write about the resurrection story. Not all of them give us the birth narrative. In fact, only two of the gospel writers, Matthew and then Luke, give us the birth narrative of Jesus and tell us about his entry into the human family. But every single gospel writer goes into great detail, Luke, the most specific, with the physical, the literal, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. The disciples never got over the fact that when they visited the tomb on Easter Sunday, that they found that the tomb was empty. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the watershed issue of our Christian faith. The resurrection of Christ is the fundamental, the primary tenet of what we claim as Christians to know and to believe. And if without the resurrection, everything else is like a house of cards. Without the resurrection of Jesus, everything else comes tumbling down. It is the resurrection and the resurrection alone that indeed is the miracle of all miracles. Now, the Bible is a book that is filled with miracles. And if you're like me, maybe I'm simple-minded, but I don't have any trouble believing the miracles in the Bible. I just believe the miracles are inspired. Amen? I believe the miracles are true. And I believe the miracles happen just exactly the way the Scripture says that they happened. So the Bible is filled with miracles. On the very first first page in the book of Genesis, the Bible says as God spoke that these worlds just exploded into existence. That was certainly a miracle of god and all throughout the old testament you find the scriptures punctuated with miracles think about the day that joshua went to battle and the scripture says that he prayed and the sun stood still now that's quite a miracle isn't it or you think about the day moses stood on the banks of the of the red sea and he lifted his staff in the air and he says stand still and see the salvation of the lord and that day the red sea parted what an incredible miracle Or the miracle, say, of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And that's just to mention a few that are given to us in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you see the continuation of those miracles. You see people who are healed. You see the masses of people fed. You see people who are literally raised from the dead and come back to life again. In my estimation, one of... The most intriguing miracles in the New Testament, certainly, is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. How could we ever wrap our mind around the fact that God, who is infinite, became finite and put on human skin? That the God who held the stars in his hand and uses the earth as his footstool would condescend to take on human flesh and be resting in the crook of his mother's arm. That's beyond our wildest imagination, isn't it? That God would indeed become man. But even that pales in comparison when we think about the miracle of all miracles. And that is on Easter Sunday, when Jesus Christ came back from the grave. It is the greatest miracle that has ever happened or will ever happen. Again, it is the central tenet of our faith In the book of 1 Corinthians, this is what the Apostle Paul says about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, he said in verse number 14, our preaching is in vain. Meaning that all of our worship services are for nothing. All of the activities that we do to help other people come to know Christ, all of that is futile. If Christ did not resurrect from the grave, ascending missionaries is vain. He says our preaching is in vain. Verse 15, he says we're all false witnesses. Verse 17, he says our faith is in vain. He also says we're still in our sins. And get this, he said if Christ has not risen from the grave, then are all of our loved ones that have gone on before us, they've perished. Our loved ones that we believe we're going to see in heaven because they loved Jesus and lived for Jesus and were saved. If Christ didn't raise from the grave, there will be no reunion on the other side. And Paul makes that very, very clear. And he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians that we would be of all men most miserable. So what I want to do for the next little while today, just give you three quick little points about the Easter story and the miracle of all miracles. First of all, I want you to know that the miracle of the Easter story brings death out of life It brings death out of life. Contrast Easter Sunday with Good Friday. Good Friday, it was dark when the sun refused to shine. But on Easter Sunday, the sun would rise over the brow of Jerusalem unlike it had ever risen before. On Good Friday, when Jesus breathed his last breath and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, no one knew what they they were going to do with their lives from that point on. They all thought, you know, That Jesus was going to be the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior of the world. They would get to to join him in his earthly kingdom. But now all of that had gone up in smoke. In fact, Simon Peter, the only thing he knew to do, he said, I'm going fishing. It was hopeless. And it was as though death was all around. But when you piece together the Easter story, what you discover is that Jesus actually came back to life somewhere in the pre-dawn hours, early Sunday morning. The scripture tells us there was a great earthquake. That the seal, the Roman seal that secured that that tomb was was broken. That the angels had came down and rolled the stone away. Not to let Jesus out, by the way, but to let an unbelieving world come in. The soldiers fell back as as dead men. and, And finally when they came to, the scripture tells us they ran because of fear for their own lives. And when the women finally come to the tomb... They are bewildered because they cannot believe what they've witnessed. Go to verse number one and you will notice. Early upon the first day of the week, early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher bringing the spices that they had prepared and certain others with them. Now, in those days, bodies were prepared for burial, usually by covering with ointment and then about 100 pounds or so of spices. Because of the hectic day Friday and the speed in order to get the body of Christ off the cross so he would not be on the cross on the Sabbath, which is sundown Friday. In haste, the body of Jesus, many scholars say that the spices were added or not the ointment. Some would say some of the ointment was added. as kind of an embalming type fluid on the outside of the body to help preserve the body to some degree. Some would say the anointment was, at, the ointment was added, but not the spices. Whichever it was, on this particular day, it was now Sunday, and the women come to the tomb to finish what they had started on Friday. They couldn't do it on Saturday because that was a Sabbath, and their law would not allow that. So the Scriptures say when they come to the tomb, that they begin to see that this two-ton stone... That the Romans had placed over the entryway that had that had that was rolled down into a a a notch or a V, and that once it was rolled in place, no average person could ever move that out of the way. But on this particular day, the scripture says that the stone was rolled away. Notice in verse number two, it says that they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre and they entered in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, the King James uses the word here, they were perplexed. Some translations use the word, they were puzzled. They wondered. Now, I read that and I think, what do you mean they wondered? You think they would have been thinking about this and looking forward to this and expecting this for the last three years since Jesus came to minister among them, but that's not at all what had happened. All of the words that Jesus had to say about his death and his resurrection went right over the tops of their head. And they missed it. That's why on Sunday morning, when they come to the tomb, they are so surprised. Again, that word wondered, it literally means to be entirely at a loss. Have you ever been speechless? That's kind of what we see here. They are expecting not a resurrection. What are they expecting? A corpse, for heaven's sakes. They're not expecting, their minds are not thinking about the possibility of a risen Savior. They're thinking about, we need to go ahead and add these additional spices to the decaying body of the Lord Jesus to treat his body with reverence and respect. And even though Jesus had taught them for three years, the last thing they had on their mind on Easter Sunday was a resurrection. They were at a loss, the scripture says, when they come and they see the stone rolled away and they see that the tomb is empty. You see, all the way up, they had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They placed their faith in him. They trusted him. They expected him to set up his earthly kingdom. And even though he told them about the cross, they missed it. And even though he told them about the resurrection, they missed it. Verse 4 says they were, they, they, they were perplexed or they were at a loss. Notice verse 5 or verse 4. These two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth and said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spake to you when he was yet in Galilee? Now why would these women have gone to the tomb had they not expected to find a body? That's what they were thinking. That's what they believed they would see. When they arrived there, they were in hopes that they could get somebody to push the stone out away and get it cracked just enough that they could slither in there and take those spices and anoint the body of the Lord Jesus once again. But on this day, there are angels that had came down and rolled the stone away. Their garments, the scripture said, were shining. I can just see it in the brilliance of that morning, shining like the the noonday sun with the glory of God. Those angels that had came down on assignment the first time to announce that Jesus was born would come down this time to say, He is not here. He is risen. That with this miracle that He has taken the ugliness of death, And he brings life out of death. If you've ever had to say goodbye to somebody that you love, and you've ever had to take that long, lonely walk in the cemetery, you know how gut-wrenching that can be. And I've been a pastor for a good number of years, and I've had to do that with so many people. And you never get used to that, and it's never an easy thing to do. But I want you to know any time I've ever had the privilege of speaking in a memorial service for a Christian, I've never walked away from that grave hopeless and in despair. I've walked away from that grave with great triumph in my heart because I know that Jesus has conquered death in the grave. And I know that he he brings life out of death. And when man says there's no hope and man says there's no use and man says there's nowhere else to turn, Jesus brings a brand new life out of that That's why we call it the miracle of all miracles. Could there have been a more dark, depressing day than Good Friday? Could it have been a more gruesome scene? Of course not. I mean, it was brutal in every sense of the word. And it seemed all the hope was lost. And Jesus bowed his head and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when all seemed to be lost and death all around, Come Sunday morning, all of that had changed. And the greatest of all miracles, Jesus came back to life. And I'm glad to announce to you today that because he lives, there's hope for every single one of us. For your family, for your lives, for your eternity. Listen, I am basing my whole eternity on the resurrection of Jesus. And when I see you in heaven a million years from now, It'll be because the tomb was empty. Amen, church? We're basing all of that on the resurrection of Jesus. And because he brings life out of death, he can bring a healed marriage out of a fractured marriage. He can bring restored relationships out of broken relationships. He can take a person who's lost, change their life in such a way that he gives them the abundant life. He really does bring life out of death. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 according to his mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading kept in heaven for you so the angels asked these ladies "Why, why do you seek the living among the dead he's not here What he does is he brings life out of death. You see, on that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus killed death, destroyed the power of death, and brings life. But secondly, I want you to note that the miracle of Easter offers objective truth. We live in a world of relativism, don't we? It seems as though there's nothing right or wrong today. Everything is relative and you do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody or as long as it feels good. Then everything's okay and that ultimately there's no accountability. But that's not what the empty tomb tells us. The empty tomb tells us that yes, there is absolute objective truth. Everything in life is not subjective. Everything in life is not relative. There is absolute truth. And the resurrection of Christ is that absolute truth in a foggy world, a mixed up world, a world that's lost its way, a world that is searching for answers and for, 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 for meaning and for purpose. It can only be found in the tomb, the empty tomb, because indeed it is An example of objective truth. Notice in verse 6 and following, the Bible says, As the angel said he's not here, he is risen. Remember how he spake to you when he was yet in Galilee? Now notice what Jesus had said to them during his earthly ministry. He says, verse 7, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and he must be crucified. And the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. Do you know what the Lord was doing for his men leading up to Easter? up to crucifixion and Easter, he was giving them objective truth because he was saying, in essence, there's coming a day when the world won't know the difference between truth and error. In fact, the more you watch the news today and the more you listen to news cycles, the more convinced we become that the world doesn't know truth if we were to to stand up and, and hit them in the face. That what is right is wrong and what is wrong seems to be right. Today And the whole world is mixed, up, is mixed up and is upside down. Jesus said to his men, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, it's foggy and people don't know the truth. But I want to give you an objective reality. And that is, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I will die. But do not lose hope. Do not give up because the great miracle will be that I will bring life out of death. And I will give you something in which to believe. You see, our young generation today are looking for something to believe. A flag to wave, a group to follow, somewhere to belong and somewhere to be a part. Listen, I want you to know God also wants that for you, doesn't he? That's why the Bible says, he said, I know the plans I have made for you. Plans for you to prosper. God has a plan for you. And he wants you to know objective truth. Years before Jesus died, he gave the prophecies that it would happen. If you were here last Sunday morning on Palm Sunday, uh, you know I preached to that end. All of the different prophecies in the scripture that spoke, hundreds and hundreds of years, some of them up in the Psalms, a thousand years before they took place, were fulfilled in precise detail. 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah said, about Jesus that he gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks to them who plucked off the hair. And he said, I hid not my face from spitting. The prophecies were fulfilled about where he would be born, who his family was, what tribe he would come from, the events that would unfold in his life, and yes, even the prophecies of his death. And yes, even the prophecies of his resurrection hundreds of years earlier. Let me show you. Hold your place here. I want you to back up a few chapters to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and look at how the Lord tells his disciples what is going to happen. Luke 9, verse 22. Luke 9, verse 22. He straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Verse 22, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Do you think they got that? Absolutely not. It to- they totally missed that. How much more plain could he have made it? You see, they were still thinking earthly kingdom, right? That's why James and John had that little argument about, Lord, who's going to be the greatest Who's going to sit on your right hand? And Jesus said, I want you to know, it's not about that. But it's about the fact that the Son of Man, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. But don't lose heart, I'm going to raise again. Go to, look in verse number 23, same chapter. And he said to them, if any man will come after him, let him dem- deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Turn over a page to chapter 11, look in verse 29. Chapter 11, verse 29, when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation, and they seek a sign. And there shall no sign be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. Do you think they knew the story about Jonah? swallowed by the whale? Of course that, they knew that. Swallowed by the great fish, spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Did they know that? Of course they knew that. And Jesus would say, just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Do you think they got that? No. They were not, again, looking for this miracle of all miracles. That's why the women were so surprised when they came and saw the stone rolled away when they were looking for a body. That's why now when the angels say, don't be afraid, why do you seek the living among the dead? What they were doing is they were there actually looking for the dead. But Jesus always brings life out of death. And he gives us objective truth, something that is real, tangible, something that will sustain you. Turn over another page or two to chapter 16. Look in verse 30. Chapter 16, verse 30. Of course, we know this parable, or this is not a parable, this story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in the very last couple of verses, beginning in verse 30, the story concludes this way. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Look at this. Though one rose from the dead. Again, predicting his own death And then subsequent resurrection. One more page. Chapter 18. Look in verse 31. He took to him the twelve and he said to them. Behold we go to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered to the Gentiles. He shall be mocked. He shall be spitefully treated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day, rise again. But they never allowed that to sink into their mind. And they totally, totally missed this objective truth that Jesus had given them. Yes. I have come to set up my earthly kingdom but it's going to be postponed do you, know, do you know in that sense the physical kingdom has still been postponed right now we're part of his spiritual kingdom we're called the church the body of Christ but one of these days he's coming again to establish that eternal kingdom that he planned on establishing when he first came so he wants us to know and understand that objective truth that this world is not all there is listen You don't just die and that's the end of you. You are created to live forever. And you will live forever. I'll live forever. Either with God in glory or eternally separated from God in a place called hell. But what determines that is what we do with this miracle of miracles. Do we accept the resurrected Christ as, as a gift of salvation for us or do we thumb our nose at it and we go our separate way and said, no, I'll live my own life, thank you very much. Do you know, <clears throat> on Good Friday, <clears throat> when Jesus went to the cross, we've looked at it through Palm Sunday, that he uttered a number of different sayings from the cross, seven of them to be exact. One of the final statements that he made, in our English Bible, we read it in three words, in the Greek it's one word. It is the word tetelestai, and it means it is finished. It was a word that was used for the, those who would participate in the games like our Olympic games. And they would run the race and as they crossed the finish line they would call out to Telestai. The race has been run and the race has been won and it is finished. And when Jesus died on Good Friday he bowed his head and he said, it is finished. He didn't mean that his life was finished. What he meant was that The road from lost sinful man to eternity with God has been opened up. It's been finished. That it's been paved, it's been made a way, it's been made available, it's been made possible. And whoever will can come. Everybody, young or old or rich or poor, it makes no difference. We can come to Calvary, find forgiveness of our sins. And the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus died, that he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. It's very graphic in the Greek there, what it really means. Now get this, it means that when Jesus died, he wasn't wasn't fighting it, listen. He wasn't necessarily struggling with the dying process. It's a word that means he pillowed his head. That when he gave up the ghost, it's as though... He just lay his head on his pillow, which shows us his absolute control of every aspect of the cross and all that was unfolding around him. And he just pillows his head and he says, it's time for me to die because he said in the gospel of John, no man takes my life from me, but I freely lay it down. And if I lay my life down, listen, church, he has the power to take it up again. And that's exactly what he did on Easter Sunday. Nobody killed Jesus. Specifically, he, he allowed that. He absorbed that in his body because he died the death that I would have to die and the death that you die. And he just pillowed his head and he said, it is finished. God's justice was satisfied. The sin debt had been paid. The ransom had been satisfied. And Jesus just pillowed his head. Now when I read about these women, if you'll go back to Luke chapter 24 very quickly... And how astounded they were when they come to the, um, to the empty tomb because they weren't expecting that. And how shocked they were when they actually meet the angels. I am reminded of how easy it is for us to forget the, the, the words of God. It's very easy to forget his promises. You know, I took you through those passages in Luke where Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, but I'll rise again. They missed it, they forgot it. It's very easy for us to do the same thing. But listen, don't ever forget the promises of God to you. God promises that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And friends, that is an eternal promise. God has promised that he loves you with an everlasting love. That's an eternal promise and that will never change. God has promised that he has prepared a place for you in heaven. And that is an eternal promise and that will never change. So don't forget the promises of God. God has also promised that one of these days he's coming back. And just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming again for every single one of us. Remember those promises. Rest in those promises. So very quickly, the miracle of all miracles. Jesus replaces death with life. He offers objective truth. And then finally, I want you to note that the miracle of Easter demands a personal response. No one can be neutral about Easter. No one can be neutral about Easter. We either have to come to terms with the facts that, yes, Jesus rose again, and yes, that's going to change my life, or, or no, I'm going to go find my own way. The miracle of Easter demands a personal response. Do you know God said to Adam in the day that you sin, you will surely die? And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were immediately separated from God. And from then, listen, until Easter Sunday, man had been separated from God. And it wasn't until Christ came and he died on that cross that he defeated death, that he paid that sin debt that would take away my sin and give me reconciliation with the Father. That's why the Bible says, For as by man came death, But by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. That's why the praise team can sing that Bible verse this morning. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't be neutral about the empty tomb. It demands a personal response. Look at the women's reaction in verse 9. They returned from the sepulcher. They told all the things to the eleven and to the rest. What had changed for these women? Their despair. It was now dawning on them what had really happened. They go expecting death. They find life. They go expecting a corpse. They find a resurrected Christ. And eventually that begins to dawn on them in such a way that their response is they immediately go tell the disciples what they had discovered. That the body of Christ is not here. He has risen. And that's what the angel had told them. And their response was one of moving from bewilderment ultimately to belief. They accept it. Look at the, uh, the disciples' response in verse 9. As these ladies come and tell the disciples, look at their reaction. Their words seemed to them as idle tales and they didn't believe them. How could they not have believed? How many times did Jesus tell them what was going to happen? But yet they they missed it. And their response was, no, I'm not going to believe it. Eventually, though, we're grateful that it did dawn on them what had taken place. And they did accept it, every one of them. And their lives were so changed, they go out through the region, they plant the church, they, they share the glorious gospel message of Jesus and his glory, and their lives are radically changed. But they too had to make that response, that reaction to the death of Christ and his resurrection. And then finally, look at the reaction of Peter very quickly, and we'll close. Then arose Peter, and he ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and he departed, look at his reaction, wondering in himself What had come to pass. In other words, it was slowly dawning on Simon Peter, the weight of the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And it begins to dawn on him. And I think they go back in their mind. In fact, the scripture validates this. They go back in their mind and they're like, now it all makes sense. Now they begin to put the pieces together. That when Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I'll build it again in three days, he wasn't talking about his body. I mean, the the temple, the place they worship, he was talking about his body. And they're like, yes, now it makes sense. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, the son of man in the heart of the earth three days, yes, it makes sense. And it slowly began to dawn on them that this is a beautiful miracle of all miracles. That this God who came into this world wrapped in human flesh let the weight of hell be dumped on his shoulders on Calvary but did not remain defeated and dead in the grave. But he came out alive to conquer death so you can live and you can live and you can live. So one of these days listen, we're all going to be together in eternity, in eternity. That would be a glorious day, will not it? But you're only going to get to be there if you have asked Christ to come into your life and trusted Him as your personal Savior. We're going to close out an invitation, and I want to give you that opportunity to take just a moment. And right here on Easter Sunday, between you and the Lord, in fact, I just want us to bow our head and close our eyes, and right here between you and the Lord, if you're here today and you've never prayed a prayer and asked the Lord to come into your life, He loves you, died for you, and rose again, and He wants to change your life. And if you want to be saved today, you pray this prayer. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and save me. I repent of my sins. I turn from my wicked ways. And I ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, if you prayed that prayer as we have this invitation, I'm just going to challenge you. You come this morning. And you make that public. Or maybe you're here. You want to unite with our church today. What a wonderful day it would be here on Easter Sunday to unite with our church family. Or you just have a need in your life and you want us to pray for you. We're here. You come. Shall we stand together? And as we sing, I invite you to come this morning.